Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Emma and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 166, Airplane. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't, but that's not important right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seatbelts for the latest episode of this podcast and welcome to Verbal Diorama Airways, to all of you brand new passengers on this podcast, welcome back regular returning passengers. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to fly with Verbal Diorama. No matter how you found this airline, I'm very happy to have you here because we're going to go through the history and legacy of Airplane. Surely I'm not serious. Well, I am serious. And don't call me Shirley because my name's Em. Before I jump into Airplane, and yeah, there's going to be plenty of jokes like this throughout the episode. I'm warning you up front. Before I start this episode on Airplane, I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to previous, most recent episodes. I did episode on District 9, I did an episode on The Terminator, and I did an episode on Promising Young Woman, which as of the general release of this episode came out on Monday, but as of the patron release, it hasn't yet come out. So it's not available yet for patrons, but it is available for general release. But if you're a patron and you're listening to this early, then you can go to the main feed and you can pick up Promising Your Woman because it's there. If you haven't already done it, if you know what I mean. I realise it's a bit of a tonal whiplash to go from different episode genres to different episode genres. But you know, sometimes you have to mix it up and you have to go from like sci-fi horror to like a serious revenge drama and then to a spoofy comedy on podcasts because sometimes it's good to have a bit of variety. And no, I'm not sorry. But for now, for this episode on Airplane, it looks like I picked the wrong week to quit introductions. Here's the trailer for Airplane. Stand by for the most extraordinary chain of events ever swept up into high adventure. Hey, Larry, where's the forklift? Forklift! It's over there with the baggage water. Airplane. Airplane is drama. Uh, this is Dr. Brody at the Mayo Clinic. There's a passenger on your Chicago flight 209 or a little girl named Lisa Davis en route to Minneapolis. She's scheduled for a heart transplant. I want you to make sure that she's kept in a reclined position and that a continuous watch is kept on her IV. Airplane is action. Airplane is romance. I love you, Elaine. I love you. 
Airplane is music. There is only one river. There is only one sea. Airplane is dancing. Never has the screen been so big. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. Peter Graves. You ever seen a grown man naked? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. Leslie Nielsen. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what do you make out of this? This? Why, could make a for a brooch, for pterodactyl. Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I've got to get out of here. The most incredible adventure the screen has ever created. He's coming right at us! The big news is... Airplane. Traumatized after an incident during the war where he lost six men, seven if you include George Zip, Ted Stryker has developed a drinking problem and has been dumped by his longtime girlfriend Elaine Dickinson a stewardess at Trans-American Airlines. To get her back and to conquer his fear of flying, he joins her flight, but tragedy strikes when some passengers choose to eat the fish. They become seriously ill and need to be gotten to the hospital. What is it? Well, it's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Tell you what is important right now, though, is the cast of this movie, so we will go through them. We have Robert Hayes as Ted Stryker, Julie Haggerty as Elaine Dickinson, Leslie Nielsen as Dr. Rumack, Peter Graves as Captain Clarence Over, Lloyd Bridges as Steve McCroskey, Robert Stack as Captain Rex Kramer, Lorna Patterson as Randy, Stephen Stucker as Johnny, Frank Ashmore as Victor Bastam, Jonathan Banks as Gunderson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as Roger Murdoch, and Otto as himself. Airplane was written and directed by Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and David Zucker, a.k.a. Zucker Abraham Zucker, or Zaz. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to use their full names because I've got to increase the length of this flight somehow. Just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. While growing up in Shorewood, Wisconsin, and attending the same high school, David Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and Jerry Zucker became friends. The three formed the Kentucky Fried Theatre while they were students at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. In 1977, they wrote their debut movie, The Kentucky Fried Movie, a series of sketch comedies which was directed by John Landis. The Kentucky Fried Movie was not an easy thing to sell to studios, as they were constantly told that audiences didn't like movies composed of sketches, despite the trio literally doing that every evening at their theatre. The three pay for the Kentucky Fried movie themselves, selling out $35,000 for an initial short film. It was a chance encounter to exhibitor Kim Jorgensen seeing the short film that enticed other exhibitors, which got an investment of $650,000 and allowed them to make a feature-length movie that was a box office success, making $7.1 million. It also highlighted to them that the only way they were going to get a movie made exactly the way they wanted was to direct it themselves. Two years before they wrote the Kentucky Fried movie, while they were performing with the Kentucky Fried Theatre, they'd obtained comedy routine material by recording late-night TV and 
reviewing the tapes for things to parody or spoof in their sketches. During reviewing the tapes, they'd realised they'd recorded the 1957 film Zero Hour. Starring Dana Andrews, Linda Darnell and Sterling Hayden and directed by Hall Bartlett, Zero Hour was itself based on an April 1956 Canadian teleplay called Flight Into Danger, which was reproduced in a September 1956 episode of live anthology series The Alcoa Hour. Flight Into Danger was written by former British wartime pilot Arthur Haley, and on a flight between Vancouver and Toronto, he came up with a simple premise. An airliner is threatened by an outbreak of food poisoning on board, and the only man who can land the plane is a former Spitfire pilot. And he was played by James Doohan, you'll know him from Star Trek, in the 1956 teleplay. An episode of the Alcoa Hour titled Tragedy in a Temporary Town would star Lloyd Bridges, who famously ad-libbed and slipped in a bit of a swear word during the live broadcast, looked like he picked the wrong live broadcast to ad-lib profanity in. Flight Into Danger was a huge hit when it aired on CBC's television's General Motors Theatre. A novelisation was written by Haley and John Castle, a pseudonym for Ronald Payne and John Garrard. The story was titled Runway 08 in the US and Flight Into Danger in the UK. Arthur Haley would also write the best-selling novel Airport in 1968, which was adapted into an Academy Award-winning movie adaptation in 1970, which also sparked the wave of disaster films that made the genre one of defining, though mildly distributable, elements of 1970s film. Airport gave us the classics like The Towering Inferno and The Poseidon Adventure, as well as spawning three sequels, each progressively less successful, Airport 1975, Airport 77 and the Concorde Airport 79, and Airplane would also partly be a spoof of Airport. Back to Zero Hour though, because filmed in 1957, Zero Hour took the same principle, a flight with a food poisoning outbreak on board, where a war veteran pilot is the hero of the hour. That pilot is named Ted Stryker. And yes, the similarities are overwhelmingly obvious for a lot of things between Zero Hour and Airplane. While Zero Hour's Ted Stryker is on board with his wife and son, and Airplane's Ted Stryker doesn't have either, the two movies' plots, characters, situations, and even script are oftentimes identical, but otherwise incredibly similar. Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker wrote their first ever film script, then titled The Late Show, in 1975. The Late Show would become Airplane. Their script borrowed so much from Zero Hour and was so similar, in fact, that despite the allowance for parody within copyright law, in order to avoid a potential copyright dispute, Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker purchased the rights to Zero Hour from Warner Brothers and Paramount for $2,500. The original script was much longer too. It included parody commercial breaks. When they finished the script for Airplane, they were unable to sell it, which led to the creation of the Kentucky Fried movie instead. It was a meeting with John Landis, who would go on to direct the Kentucky Fried movie, that led to them gaining some credibility in Hollywood based on the performance of that movie that ended up with them shopping the script for what would become Airplane. All the major studios turned it down, and it would turn out that Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg Two guys I speak about a lot during animation season for obvious reasons. They became paramount, pun intentional, to this story. Michael Eisner, then working at Paramount Pictures, heard about the script while having dinner with Susan Bearwald, a reader for United Artists. United Artists had passed on the airplane script, but Susan told him about it and he thought it sounded like a good idea and asked Jeffrey Katzenberg to contact Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker. At the same time, a rival studio, Avco Embassy Pictures, also expressed an interest in the script. They'd been responsible for lower-budget genre films like Phantasm and The Fog, and under the management of Robert Ream, offered Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker more money than Paramount to secure the script. And this was a real dilemma for Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker, and they weighed up the pros and cons of both Avco Embassy and Paramount, and ultimately, they decided to go with Avco Embassy. They called Jeffrey Katzenberg to let him know of their decision and five minutes later they'd agreed a deal with Paramount. And one of their cons for Paramount was the potential for the studio to have too much creative control, weigh in too much and ruin their idea, basically. But while rewrites were commissioned, it was Katzenberg who took them through the process, 
where they developed the love story and added the flashbacks. With Paramount's help, they trimmed the fat in the script while keeping the central zero-hour plot points, the zero-hour three-act structure, which they freely admit they knew nothing about structuring a film at the time, and they took their structure directly from Zero Hour. Most importantly for Airplane, they were going to play it completely straight, starting with the casting. And Paramount suggested that they use comedians like Bill Murray and Chevy Chase for the roles, but Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker were insistent on keeping it as serious as possible. Paramount would eventually agree to this. When Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker suggested they also wanted to film it in black and white and also on a prop plane, Paramount thought this was a step too far and they refused. Michael Eisner would put his foot down and insist, stating, quote, You may go on to make this movie in black and white and on a prop plane and it may be very successful, but it won't be at this studio. It all turned out okay in the end though and Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker were initially hesitant when Howard W. Cock came on board as a producer. But Cock's influence in the industry proved fruitful with the people that he knew. The studio was on board with the casting of well-known serious actors like Robert Stack, Peter Graves and Lloyd Bridges and they in turn were on board with Cock's credibility. Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker were determined but also willing to listen to logic and concede that maybe a black and white movie on a prop plane might not work and that they had to make compromises. Six weeks before shooting, they reached out to a very serious actor named Leslie Nielsen. And Nielsen really was, at the time, a serious leading man, but he was also known to be an on-set comedian. He wanted to transition to goofier comedic roles, and after other stars like Jack Webb, Dom DeLuise and Christopher Lee turned the role down, Nielsen grabbed the opportunity. Jerry Zucker would describe Leslie Nielsen as a fish in water and that he loved every minute of the Dr. Rumack role. And as soon as Nielsen saw Zero Hour and saw the Doctor in that movie, he knew exactly how he needed to play the role. They wrote the role of Captain Rex Kramer with Robert Stack in mind and he was their first choice, most famous for his Oscar-nominated role in Written on the Wind and as Elliot Ness in The Untouchables. Stack would also transition into a comedic actor as well as star as Ultra Magnus in The Transformers the Movie, that's episode 133 of this podcast. Stack also did his own stunts on Airplane as well, and he used an impression of himself by John Biner as inspiration for his performance, as himself playing the character of Captain Rex Kramer. Before they offered McCroskey to Lloyd Bridges, they offered it to George Kennedy, who was working on the airport movies at the time, but the producers of Airport weren't keen on him being in a spoof and spoiling his image. Lloyd Bridges would also go on to work with Jim Abrahams again on Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Deux. And I'll be honest, those two movies are coming to this podcast this year. So absolutely, I have to do an episode on Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Deux. Both Caitlyn Jenner, who famously also auditioned for the lead role in Superman. I mentioned that in the episode that I did on Superman. And David Letterman tested for the role of Ted Stryker. Letterman, who's obviously famous as a talk show host and comedian, he excelled at both of those things, but not so much as an actor, according to Jim Abrahams. Robert Hayes was on the sitcom Angie at the time, and his agent, Arnie Soloway, had a new agent in his office called Beth Foiku. Foiku previously worked with Howard Koch because word was he had a prime role in a new comedy movie up for grabs, Voiku called Cock and told him her agency had Ted Stryker. Hayes tested for the role and screen tested with Julie Haggerty. And clearly, I don't need to tell you, he got the role as Ted Stryker. Then Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker saw an episode of Angie, which was a three-camera live studio audience show. And they wondered if they'd made a mistake. But then as soon as they saw Hayes perform in front of the camera, they knew that they had their man. Previously to Julie Haggerty getting the role, they auditioned Sigourney Weaver in New York, who reportedly didn't want to say the sit on your face and wriggle line. They also auditioned Shelley Long for the role. Julie Haggerty was also a New York auditionee, and as soon as she read for the part of Elaine, they knew that she was exactly the sort of soft-spoken, sweet, unique, endearing person that they wanted. NBA superstar Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got the role of Murdoch, but he wasn't actually first choice. It was former American baseball player Pete Rose 
who Zucker Abrahams and Zucker wrote the role for. Abdul Jabbar was offered $30,000 but requested $35,000 to buy an oriental rug that he wanted, which would cost exactly that. He was later pictured in Time magazine, standing in front of the rug that he bought with his airplane paycheck. The fact that he was never supposed to be able to act because he was actually supposed to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar meant that he was the perfect choice for the role. And at the time, the LA Lakers had just won the championship, so he really was a big coup for the production. Kentucky Fried Theatre alum Stephen Stucker would also write his own lines and often ad-lib on set. Two characters who also wrote their own lines were First Jive Dude and Second Jive Dude, a.k.a. Norman Alexander Gibbs and Al White. They'd actually met during their audition, and originally Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker had written Jewish white guy jive material in the script, for which they profusely apologised to these guys for, but they encouraged Gibbs and White to make up their own jive language. Obviously, jive language doesn't exist. Jive is a word or a phrase here or there, originating from jazz musicians in the 1920s. Al White actually bought books on black English and black language, taking what they had to say in standard English and using these books to translate it into what he felt was jive language. Norman Alexander Gibbs did the same and then they collaborated using their jive translations to make jive sentences. For the lady who speaks jive, played by Barbara Billingsley from Leave It to Beaver, White wrote her jive dialogue and also instructed her on how to pronounce it. I couldn't find out much about Otto, other than his IMDb page and his mini-bio is the stuff of legend and it states as follows. Otto is one of the most iconic movie objects of all time, not only recognised by audiences around the world for his only film performance in the massive hit Airplane, but he also has a profile page on IMDb, along with other film cultural icons like Volleyball, Wilson the, and Robbie the Robot. Otto was an inflatable balloon born in 1979, created and conceived by three fathers, the Zaz trio of Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams and David Zucker. They specifically wrote a part for him as an airplane's autopilot in this parody of plane disaster films, which became a spectacular hit that eventually got a sequel made in 1982, in which Otto did not appear. His charismatic and positive loving character, always smiling, captured audiences' attention from the get-go, turning him into one of the most remarkable icons of the 1980s. Little is known about his fate and other possible projects, except that he disintegrated in Jerry Zucker's garage house some years after his famous film role. And I'm not even making that up. If you go to IMDb and you search out the character of Otto, he has his own page on IMDb. He is listed in the airplane credits. Look at his bio. That is exactly what his bio says, and it's marvellous. Principal photography began on airplane on the 20th of June, 1979. It wrapped on the 31st of August, 1979. 31st of August is my birthday. I always like to bring that up. And although I was not born at this point, I feel a spiritual connection with Airplane purely based on the fact it wrapped on my birthday. When it came to crediting the three directors, there was an instant problem because three directors all receiving a director credit goes against the rules of the Directors Guild of America. As of 2017, the rules state one director to a picture. With few exceptions, only one director may be assigned to a motion picture at any given time. Only the director assigned to a motion picture may direct it. The DGA initially refused to allow a three-person director credit. This is not co-director credit. This is a director credit. After a long battle with the Guild, they did back down and they did allow a three-director credit. Airplane was actually premiered on the Paramount lot where the reels were played out of order, but it actually wasn't a gag. The movie was on five reels, and the reels went one, two, three, and then five. So when the fifth reel came up instead of the fourth, Jim Abrahams thought that he'd had one too many cocktails, and the projectionist was certain that it was the correct reel. It took Jerry Zucker to tell him, actually, I'm the director, and no, you've missed the fourth reel for the projectionist to correct the mistake. They had to obviously switch the reels around. They had to have a brief moment 
of downtime for the showing before they could start up with the fourth reel and then the fifth. And the legacy of airplay is apparent. You might not enjoy the comedy of the Farrelly brothers or Seth MacFarlane quite as much as you enjoy this movie, but many of today's comedic artists, from the Farrelly brothers to Seth MacFarlane and Judd Apatow, they all say about how the film influenced them. Peter Farrelly's first Hollywood writing job was for David Zucker after he and his writing partner Bennett Yellen sent Zucker a comedy script. Many airlines referenced the movie in their in-flight entertainment and ads. And in fact, during an in-flight incident on Qantas Flight 72 in October 2008, where the plane had to make an emergency landing in Australia, the pilot reportedly quoted the line, looks like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking as he landed the plane, just to, you know, alleviate any stress that the passengers might have been feeling at the time. But really, the lasting legacy of Airplane are the spoofs that followed. And Airplane didn't start spoof movies, but it certainly cemented them as the go-to for comedy. And unfortunately, not many of them hold up to such a high standard. For every scary movie, a franchise that coincidentally, something that David Zucker and Jim Abrahams would actually get to eventually. There's a disaster movie or an epic movie. Airplane was the rare occasion that a parody was actually a critical and financial success, as I'm going to come to, and obviously followed the Carry On series, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Blazing Saddles, Monty Python's Life of Brian, Young Frankenstein. Speaking of Mel Brooks, when he first saw Airplane, not only did he realise there were a new team of comedy geniuses on the rise, but he would go ahead and cast Leslie Nielsen as Dracula in Dracula Dead and Loving It before retiring shortly afterwards. And just on a side note, Robin Hood Men in Tights is the most downloaded episode of this podcast of all time. And I think that's for a reason. And I think that's because people just love funny. And do you know what else people love? They love Keanu Reeves as does this podcast, because every episode I do something called the obligatory Keanu reference, which is where I try and link Keanu Reeves to the movie that I'm featuring. And how am I going to link Keanu to Airplane? Well, a flight from San Francisco to Burbank Airport, Los Angeles in 2019 was forced to make an emergency landing in Bakersfield due to a mechanical fault. Keanu was on that flight. And he actually helped organise the most efficient way to get from Bakersfield to Burbank. And he also helped arrange vans for people to travel to Burbank. He sat in the van with fellow passengers. He told them stories and he sang songs with them and he took selfies with them because he genuinely is the best of men. Speaking of singing songs, special permission had to be obtained by the Bee Gees for their song, Staying Alive, to be featured in Airplane. Not just for inclusion in the movie, though, because obviously they got permission to include it, but the special permission was to speed the track up 10% for the scene in which Ted and Elaine danced to that song. The score was written by Elmer Bernstein, famous for his legendary scores to some of the biggest and most influential movies ever made. Movies like The Ten Commandments, the Magnificent Seven and The Great Escape. Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker didn't want an epic score, but they wanted something that was overdone. They wanted a corny B-movie score. Elmer Bernstein is not the first person you would think of for something corny and overdone, but he saw a copy of the movie and he just got it immediately. He thought the movie was hilarious and he treated the score for the movie exactly how they wanted it. Post his work on Airplane, he'd do more comedy scores, including the Blues Brothers, Stripes, Trading Places and Ghostbusters. And like I say, a lot of people went from this movie to work on other comedy movies. Interestingly for this movie, it is called Airplane in most of the world, despite the fact that the word airplane is an American word. We don't call aeroplanes airplanes here in the UK. We call them aeroplanes. It's really difficult for me to call an aeroplane an airplane. The movie is not called aeroplane over here. It is called airplane. In Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Japan and the Philippines, this movie is called Flying High. And I thought, well, why is it called Flying High in those countries? 
And this is mostly due to the fact that Airport 79 came out in 1979 in the US, but it didn't come out in Australia until 1980. And the belief is that viewers might confuse Airport 79 and Airplane. I don't know why, but that is reportedly the reason why it's called Flying High in those countries, so that there's no confusion between Flying High and Airport 79. I'm pretty certain that people in those countries are smart enough to know the difference, but clearly the makers of this movie were not because they decided to change the title. So on the 27th of June 1980, Airplane premiered in seven cinemas in Toronto, Canada, and it was released on the 2nd of July 1980 in the US. And this was a huge financial success. I can't stress enough for a parody movie how successful Airplane was. So Airplane was the fourth highest grossing movie of 1980 with box office receipts of $83 million in the US and Canada plus $40 million from rentals. The movie's initial global box office haul was $130 million and by 2002 it was $171 million. Bear in mind as well, this movie was made for $3.5 million. So an incredible profit was made on this movie. Critically, it's also a huge success as well. It's generally seen as one of the best movies of 1980 and one of the greatest comedies ever made. In 2008, Empire selected it as one of its 500 greatest movies of all time. The New York Times selected it on its best 1,000 movies ever made list. Surely you can't be serious, I am serious and don't call me Shirley, ranked 79th out of the top 100 movie quotes on the AFI's list. The American Film Institute's list of the 100 funniest American movies in 2000 ranked Airplane at number 10. It was ranked as the second greatest comedy movie of all time by total film readers in 2000. It came second place to Monty Python's Life of Brian in a Channel 4 vote of the 50 greatest comedies in Britain. And Entertainment Weekly selected Airplane as the funniest movie on video. So naturally, with all of this financial success and critical success and general acclaim, a sequel was pretty obvious. Now, when Airplane 2, the sequel, was first released on the 10th of December 1982, it actually made an effort to be slightly different because it tackled science fiction cinema while also retaining a focus on disaster movies. The writers and directors of Airplane declined to take part in the sequel, despite the fact that the majority of the cast came back. David Zucker, Jim Abrahams and Jerry Zucker claimed that they've never seen Airplane 2 and have no desire to do so either. Airplane 2, the sequel, was also written and directed by Ken Finkelman, the same guy who wrote Grease 2. And regular listeners of this podcast will probably know how much affection I have for the movie Grease 2, so maybe I should give Airplane 2, the sequel, a go, but maybe don't hold your breath. Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker would work together again on the pilot episode of Police Squad and the movie's Top Secret and Ruthless People, before disbanding as a group in 1988, mostly because they were ready to do their own things as directors, but also for financial reasons, because splitting a director's salary three ways meant less money for all of them. Directing solo meant more money for each of them, so financially makes complete sense, but it also made sense for their respective careers. So David Zucker would go on to direct The Naked Gun and its two sequels, For Goodness Sake, Basketball, My Boss's Daughter, and American Carol, and Scary Movie 3, 4, and direct and co-write Scary Movie 5. Scary Movie 4 would also be co-written and co-directed by Jim Abrahams. Abrahams would go on to direct Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael, Hot Shots and its sequel, First Do No Harm, and Mafia. Jerry Zucker would go on to direct Ghost, First Night, and Rat Race. So while they did have a fruitful career as triple directors, they did each go on to make their own mark in different genres of cinema. But for now, it looks like I picked the wrong week to quit social media thoughts because we're going to go through some social media thoughts. I like to ask people on Patreon, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook what they think of the movie that I'm featuring. And we're going to start with the patrons of this podcast. And from the patrons... We're going to start with Nicholas. 
Who says? Surely one of the greatest comedy films of all time. And don't call me Shirley. I mean, it's a great line, Nicholas, and I've not used that line once in this episode. So. <laughs> we also have a patron comment from Stuart who says, So many sight gags, one-liners and slapstick moments, you rarely have a chance to stop laughing. Whilst other films attempt to replicate, but so many simply fall short. Whilst I caught on TV in my teens and found this to be something I would have on rotation, every so often I throw an airplane quote in at work. Perennial commenter Andy returns and he says, Airplane is, without a doubt, the funniest movie ever made. And I will punch a flower giver of the Reverend Moon, Jews for Jesus, Jehovah's Witness, Buddhist or Jerry's Kids parishioner if they disagree. A movie so great that jokes 42 years on never get tired or feel outdated. And the scene with Joey telling Kareem Abdul-Jabbar what his dad thinks of him is simply the funniest scene in cinematic history. And I'm going to follow Andy's comment with a comment from his geek salad colleague, Mike. And Mike says, The funniest American-made movie of all time. I still give Monty Python and the Holy Grail a slight edge overall. From the non-sequiturs to the overly literal jokes and the hilarious fourth wall break, there is something to make anyone laugh. Also, Johnny is so hilariously random, the directors just had him do his thing and let the camera capture it. One of the first post-credit scenes ever too. And of course, Andy and Mike, they have their own podcast. It's called Geek Salad. It's just as hilariously funny as the movie Airplane. That is a verbal diorama guarantee. So if you do like pretty much anything geeky and funny, then you should check out Geek Salad. I will put some information in the show notes. We also have a patron comment from Pete who says, It wasn't until a few years ago, well into my 30s, that I sat down to watch Airplane straight through. And the hit-miss ratio of jokes was about 50-50 for me. Most came off as clever more than hilarious. The Kareem fourth wall reality break, though, is perfection. Although I respect it greatly for setting groundwork for lots of modern comedy, I think my heart will always lie with Monty Python when it comes to classic comedy. BRB, got to prepare for my fight with Andy. And please don't fight, lads. Unless you fight like Robert Stack. In which case, feel free to fight away because... That is a very good fight scene. And Pete is also the host of a podcast. He co-hosts Middle Class Film Class with Joseph and Tyler. And it's basically every Monday and Wednesday, weekly movie news, discussion and streaming recommendations and deep dive reviews. I will put some information for Middle Class Film Class in the show notes as well. We also have a patron comment from Ian who says, This is such a great film. So many gags going on in the film. Every watch seems to deliver a new gag. I watched it as a kid and really enjoyed the film and then as an adult you start to get even more of the adult humour in the film. I still enjoy this today. Let's move over to Twitter. And we're going to start with our director Neil, who said, Infinitely quotable and perfectly toned, Airplane has been flying high as comedic perfection since it was released. A perfect choice for a perfect podcast in an imperfect judgmental world Bravo verbal diorama for keeping us sane and reminding us of what fun is. I can't take any credit for this movie or for choosing, well, I can take credit for choosing this movie, but I can't take credit for this movie. This movie is amazing with or without this episode. But thank you, Neil. That nobody asked for part said, There's a good argument for it being the funniest and most quotable movie ever made. I think I discovered new jokes I missed on every rewatch. Uh, Vincent Asher said, When I watched this as a kid, I got part of the jokes. Now, as the grown-up, I got the other half of the jokes. It's a movie that knows it's not going to be serious, with a satire that almost rivals Mel Brooks movies. That Needed Road said, One of the greatest comedies of all time would never get made today. At Ali in a Spin said, Can't wait for this episode. Surely need to rewatch, and don't call me Shirley. I won't. Your name's Ali. At At Pedestrian said, The greatest spoof movie of all time? Surely. At Swayze of Arabia said, Airplane is still one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. The writing is stellar, the performances are great, especially from Peter Graves, Leslie Nielsen and Robert Stack. No matter how many times I watch it, I still laugh like crazy watching it. At Top 10 Pods said, 
I have watched Airplane at least 100 times and I still find something new to laugh at in the background of a scene. It's the movie that keeps on giving. At Dallas King 1138 said, Airplane? It's a powered flying vehicle with fixed wings and a weight greater than that of the air it displaces, but that's not important right now. What is, however, is that it remains one of the funniest films of all time. Probably the greatest gag to run time ratio ever. At Gorilla Brain Pod said, One of the most quotable movies of all time. At True Blue Rich said, I take my airplanes long and white, like my men. That's a very good joke, Rich. Well done. The funniest film ever made. Leslie Nelson's deadpan performance as Dr. Brumack is right up there with the Naked Guns Frank Drebin in the Comedy Hall of Fame. At GemCFC said, The funniest film ever made. Quite agree, sweets. I laugh every time. My favourite part is a bit understated. I've saved it on my phone and if I need cheering up, I always give it a watch. At Jake G. Godfrey said, You're talking about airplane? Surely you can't be serious. Well, I am serious, Jake, and don't call me Shirley. Nothing over on Instagram, which is disappointing and slightly surprising. So we're going to bear this plane off course and we're going to end up at Facebook for one comment on Facebook from Tony, who said, An amazingly funny film. Leslie Nielsen is on top form as the Doctor. Incredibly quotable and always a fun watch. And, I mean, I think the comments really speak for themselves on this movie. This movie is universally adored. I don't know anyone who does not like this movie. It's universally funny. There is genuinely something in every single frame that you can find funny. And that's what I love about this movie is it's not just about the quotes, although the quotes are fantastic. You could always bring up an airplane quote and pretty much everyone will know it's an airplane quote. But it's the stuff that's going on in the background. It's stuff that's going on in the foreground. There's so much visual comedy in this movie as well. And honestly, I love the fact that it attracted loads of comments. And I love the fact it attracted loads of positive comments. Because I think I could cope if someone turned around and said they didn't like this movie. I think it was like the start of the apocalypse or something. I mean, maybe that's starting already. Who knows? But either way... A huge thank you to everyone who provided comments, to the patrons and to everyone on Twitter and also Facebook, but not Instagram this week. Instagram, you're not allowed to board this flight this week because you've been naughty. But everyone else, thank you so much for providing your comments for Airplane. 42 years after its release, Airplane, or Flying High for the Australian and Kiwi listeners, is still as funny as ever. With visual gags, one-liners, plays on words, and literally something in every frame that's funny. It contains humour that's both dumb and smart. It pushes boundaries like good comedy is supposed to, but it never lowers itself to being mean-spirited. It's standard Hollywood tropes mixed with straight-laced delivery. It's indebted to the comedy that came before it, but sets itself up to inspire the comedy that would come after. Even though that comedy can't seem to fly as high. Get it? Ha 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 ha. Honestly, I'm so hilarious. I should be in a movie like this. If you go onto YouTube, there are a couple of split screen comparisons between Zero Hour and Airplane. And it really does show how on the nose Airplane is, with the script and setup often identical. But with Airplane mocking the seriousness of a disaster movie and casting straight actors as comedians, it's something comedy movies these days just don't seem to do. Or if they do, they miss the point entirely. Airplane is more than just joke after joke. It sends up everything it can from airport announcers, they were married in real life, by the way, to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar being himself. Heck, its Jewish creators mock Judaism just as much as they do other cultures and faiths. Seeing a little girl pull faces after a kindly stewardess sings a song and knocks out her IV will never not be funny. Neither will another little girl liking her coffee black just like her men. Neither will Ted's drinking problem or the Jive Dude's subtitles. But it's not just about that. This movie is almost like a relic from a bygone era with 50s-style conservatism and hyper-masculinity and old-fashioned style acting plucked literally straight from a film from the 50s. And it makes sense when you know that it's based pretty much exactly on a film from the 50s. Despite it pushing the boundaries it does, what with casual references to suicide, 
child molestation and literally queuing up to slap a hysterical woman, it's easy to make a case that a comedy like this wouldn't be made today. But we don't need anything like this to be made today. Because we have Airplane, a movie where shit literally hits the fan and the irony that was made out of a completely serious movie is hilarity at its finest. Just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. Thank you for listening. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Airplane. And if you have enjoyed your flight with Verbal Diorama Air today, and you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, and you want to get involved, you want to fly with us again in the future, what you can do is you can comment on thoughts posts on social media, usually on a Saturday. You can leave your comment on the movie that I'm featuring, and I will read it out. That's one way you can get involved. You can also get involved, again, completely for free by leaving a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can go on social media, which I probably should have told you before. It's at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And you can retweet or like posts on social media. That also helps as well. Or you can simply tell your friends and family about this podcast. And if you have enjoyed this flight on Verbal Diorama, on the movie Airplane, you might also like one of the following movies. Now, of course, I had to go for episode 95, Robin Hood Men in Tights. It is the most popular episode of this podcast. And no, I have no idea why, other than it must be because it's hilariously funny. It's the only Mel Brooks movie that I've covered on this podcast. But I love Robin Hood Men in Tights because it is so ridiculously, hilariously funny. I would say that Airplane probably is the better movie overall. But if you do enjoy Airplane, then you will absolutely enjoy Robin Hood Men in Tights because everyone knows the Robin Hood story and Men in Tights just sends up that story. I've also recommended episode 125. That was on Anchorman. Now, obviously, the comedy in Anchorman is a little bit different. I did that movie with a guest. That guest was Nick from Nikolai's Kitchen. And we had a great chat about Anchorman, actually, and about how that movie probably doesn't hold up so well nowadays. And it's not as old as Airplane, but it definitely doesn't hold up as much as Airplane does. But it is a fun comedy, very quotable like Airplane. So chances are, if you've not seen Anchorman, you might also enjoy it. And finally, episode 149, which was on Dodgeball, which is, again, another very funny comedy which is, again, very quotable, which actually does hold up a lot better than Anchorman does. And it's just a really funny comedy, guys. So if you've not seen Dodgeball and you've not heard my episode on Dodgeball, then watch slash listen to both because everyone loves laughter. Everyone loves to be made to laugh. And all of those movies will make you laugh, I guarantee. And if they don't, you can come back and tell me that those movies didn't make you laugh. But I think they will especially dodgeball, because who doesn't like a character being hit in the nuts by a ball? I mean, come on, it's like the lowest form of humour. But it works, and that's why these movies are funny. As always, give me feedback on my recommendations. What do you think? Did I miss anything? Let me know. Now, next month is going to be something I'm calling August, because you know I love a good pun. And August is going to be episodes with guests kind of makes sense, doesn't it, when you think about it. And the first episode of August is going to be with a guest that I've wanted to get on this podcast for a while. Now, I'll be honest, I'm going to put on my sexy voice because things are going to be getting a bit sexy. Verbal Diorama is going to be turning up the heat with the first trip into erotic thrillers. And if you're going to cover an erotic thriller, you cover the erotic thriller. I'm going to be doing an episode on basic instinct. Is that sexy enough for <laughs> Probably not. But taking an ice pick to basic instinct with me is Gally from the Rewind Movie Podcast. The Rewind Movie Podcast are great mates of this podcast. They're great guys overall. Gally especially has been an amazing supporter of this podcast and he's a good friend as well. And I can tell you, because it's already been recorded, an amazing conversation with Gally. He chose Basic Instinct to come on this podcast and you're going to love this conversation. It is phenomenal. I want to tell you a little bit about Patreon. What is it? Well, it's a place that people can sign up to. They can financially support the podcast and they can get 
perks and freebies like early episodes and access to the schedule. And they also get swears. Verbal Diorama Patreon episodes are not just early like this flight. They are also full of swears. Not like this flight. But the main feed will always be family friendly. The swears will be removed and it will always be suitable for all ages. But if you are interested in hearing my potty mouth over the tannoy, then you can sign up for the Patreon. I will be eternally grateful as I am to the amazing patrons of Verbal Diorama. To Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Jason, Sonny, Drew, Nicholas, Zoe, Kev, Pete, and a huge welcome to brand new patron Heather. Now, Heather actually signed up the same week as Kev and Pete, but I'd already recorded the episode before she signed up. So otherwise, she would have got a shout out last episode. So apologies for the wait, Heather, but thank you so much for joining up. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. And tell me, patrons, have you ever seen a grown man naked? You can check out my merch store. If you're interested, it's verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch with me. You can say hi. You can email verbaldiorama at gmail.com or you can go to verbaldiorama.com. You can also find me at filmstories.co.uk. You can find articles. You can find magazines that I'm in and you can buy them. Yay! It's always good to have reading material on a plane. But, you know, thank you for flying Verbal Diorama Air. And finally... I just want to tell you both good luck. We're all counting on you. Well, I'll give them another 20 minutes. But that's it. Bye. Movie should know.